Welcome back. I'm Carolyn Stain, and you're listening to Classic 1027 coming to you on DSTV Audio Channel 857 on classic1027.co.za and on 102.7 FM. Well, yesterday was, of course, National Women's Day here in South Africa, so I thought who better to chat to on the show this afternoon in my series of interviews highlighting fearless women, proudly brought to you by First for Women Insurance, than this next incredibly dynamic woman. I'm talking about South African leader, speaker, author, and former politician, Lindiwe Mazibuko. And she's on the line right now, all the way from London. Hello, Lindiwe. Hello, Carolyn. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Um, I'm really well. It's such a pleasure to hear your voice. Honoured, honoured to welcome you as my guest here on Classic Lunch this afternoon. First of all, let me say happy, happy Women's Day for yesterday. Thank you very much and happy Women's Day to you and to all the women out there. Thank you. Lindiwe, I want to find out a few things about you that I don't know. Um, I know we've spent time together, we've, we've had lots of chats, but... I don't really know how you decided on the career path that you followed, first in politics and now as mm -hmm. a much-respected academic and, of course, your involvement in philanthropy. How did it start? So I went into politics. Most people will tell you they went into politics by accident, and it's usually the case. Um, mm -hmm. For me, it was um, a combination of a frustration with the existing options uh, in, the, in the political in Parliament in South Africa in the early 2000s, um, and the fact that I had just graduated UCT and I needed to, to go and look for my first job. So I had written my dissertation on politics and government in Morocco and in South Africa, specifically in the city of Cape Town, and I decided to answer an ad that the official opposition had placed in the Sunday Times for a research job. Um, uh, with the DA, a party I didn't support at the time, but I was so fed up with the party that I was supporting previously, which was the ANC, that I wanted to know whether there were options, you know, beyond, you know, the ruling party. Um, and so I applied for a role as a researcher in Parliament. Um, from there, I ran media there, um, and after a while, it became clear to me that um, I would have the most impact in politics, um, in public policy. Um, and in people's lives if I ran for office rather than staying behind the scenes. I suppose every decision from there has just been about that question, you know, am I in the right place? Can I have the most impact here? Or is there something else that I can um, rather be doing? So that was the reason I went into politics. You know, I started out as a staff member and eventually was moved by the state of public service and politics in South Africa to put myself forward and run for office. You became the leader of the official opposition in Parliament. And, you know, we all know that politics is a tough world to enter. It's quite cutthroat, I'd imagine, a dog-eat-dog -dog mm. kind of world. What was the biggest stumbling block in getting to where you wanted to go as a woman? I think my biggest stumbling block was this belief. And I think it was it was true in some respects and not true in others. But it was the belief that because I was a young woman, a young black woman, an unexpected demographic to be in political leadership at the time, that I had to be perfect, that I had to do everything perfectly, that if I made any mistakes, it was a disaster. I had misrepresented women. I had misrepresented black women in particular. And so I always kind of went about my role not showing any vulnerability, making sure that every, you know, everything was perfect. And whenever things weren't perfect, 
um, I found it very frustrating and very anxiety-inducing. Um, so that's what the experience was. You know, there's often a saying that you have to work twice as hard to get you know half as much recognition um, as the others do, and that's the feeling I had when I was in Parliament. That there was a lot more pressure on me. That there was a lot more scrutiny of the things that I did. Whereas I think men in my position, specifically older men, um, had it a lot easier, had a lot less scrutiny. And if they made mistakes, were not considered having made mistakes for the entire male gender, right? They were viewed as individuals rather than as representatives um, of women and black women in particular. You've always stood your ground. You've never been afraid to speak your mind. And in so doing, you've inspired countless South African women, especially young women, but I want to know who, who is the fearless woman that inspires Lindiwe Mazibuko? Oh, it's definitely my mother. My mother is an extraordinary woman. She has uh, obviously lived through both colonialism and apartheid. Um, she has, you know, run clinics for refugees across the border from Swaziland and Mozambique during the civil war there. She has run public health programs to bring traditional healers into the public health system in South Africa. She's raised four children after her husband's assassination, all on her own. She has started businesses, has innovated, you know, has rebuilt herself again and again and again in the changing world, and has always just been an example for me of how to overcome enormous difficulties and unexpected challenges. So, yeah, for me, she's heroic. And what I really... What really breaks my heart, I think, is that she's an example of the, the African women who, instead of having lives that are, you know, predictable and straightforward and simple, um, have always got to be resilient, have always got to be, you know, pushing a boulder up the hill, have always got unexpected challenges, you know, unexpected setbacks to deal with. Um, but, as you know, always comes through it with grace and dignity and with an incredible amount of resilience. It's definitely my mom. Great. Lindy, we're going through a very difficult time around the world now with this COVID-19 pandemic. But there's also another pandemic, or I should rather say epidemic here in South Africa, and that's the gender-based mm. violence crisis. How do you mm. think, if at all, we can try to solve it? Do you think it's possible? I think it is possible. I think it needs to be declared a national emergency. And I know the president has done something to that effect. But I think that when you declare something a national emergency, as we have with COVID-19, you move government resources um, and private sector resources and civil society resources um, to the single-minded task of solving this particular problem. And, um, you know, I think that we have a double problem in our society. The one is we don't yet have enough laws, enough rules, enough regulations to prevent discrimination against women in the workplace. But on the other hand, we also haven't built a society in which women growing up at home or being wives and mothers in a household get treated as equals to men. So we've got a social problem and we've got a public policy problem. And I think we have to take a fundamental rethink about how we deal with gender-based violence in South Africa because, you know, it comes from a mentality that South Africans have from a young age that women are objects that men express their affection through violence, through teasing, through smacking, um, you know, mm. that women are not equal to men, that men belong in the workplace and women belong at home. And once you've got people who've been raised as children in a society like that, it becomes really difficult to address those problems at the government policy-making side.
or at the labor market policy making side. So to me, it's very much a two-pronged strategy that we have to have. But it starts first with declaring that we have a fundamental problem of our, on our hands that needs addressing. Lindiwe, you're the co-founder and the executive director of the Apolitical Foundation, which supports a new generation of public leaders around the world. Tell us more about the foundation. So we run a program called Apolitical Academy, and it's a training program for people who've done leadership in their communities, in their schools, in their workplaces already, and who know in their hearts that their ultimate goal is to serve in the public service. They want to run for office, they want to serve in government. They want to lend their skills and their passion and their ethics to the public service, which are, you know, I think in Africa in particular is desperately in need of talent and is desperately in need of African leaders. So what we do is we run a nine-month leadership program, um, which we currently are running in the SADC region, um, and it has program participants, 25 program participants every year, from a variety of countries in Sadek. This, this year we've got seven, uh, from Zimbabwe, Tanzania, uh, Zambia, uh, South Africa, Namibia, Mauritius, and others. And what we do is we spend every month during that nine-month period at a weekend away where existing government leaders, leadership specialists, people who have spent their time getting to understand how public sector leadership works, uh, come in and address the fellows, give them exercises, we take them through a curriculum, they break out into small groups. The idea really is to give these individuals who apply from the, for the program an opportunity over those nine months to interrogate you know, what it is they want to achieve in public office, why they want to run, what the best vehicle there is in public service for them to achieve their aspiration, and who can support them along the way. So it's a fully funded nonprofit. Um, we want to make sure that people are never... Um, limited from applying to the program by um, access to resources. Um, and we get about 200 to 250 applications every year for a class of 25. Um, so it really, really shows the extent to which there's a huge appetite um, out there amongst young people, but also people from other sectors, because our class is made up of people aged 18 to 45. Um, and um, so there are people who are already in the sort of middle of their career who want to transition from the private sector, for example, or from higher education into politics and government. But the level of interest and the number of applicants we receive every year is a real indication of how there is a, a, a real appetite amongst emerging leaders to be part of the change they want to see. It's just a question of them finding the right avenue, the right leaders to emulate, the right conversations to have, and the right training to make them the most formidable leaders that they can be. You're doing some incredible work, Lindy. We're uh, so, so proud of you. What are you doing in London? The foundation is headquartered in London, and South Africa is our first program. We are hoping to expand into East Africa and into the UK, and we have a partnership with the World Economic Forum that we run out of our offices here in London. But we also have a, an office in Johannesburg, and you know, pre prior to the COVID-19 crisis, what I used to do um, is I would travel back and forth between the two offices pretty much once a month, sometimes every two weeks, um, you know, as we're sort of building the program out and raising funds in order to be able to bring more programs on stream. Um, I had to do a lot of traveling. Um, but the reason I'm in the UK now is because I'm locked down and South Africa's borders are closed. So I'll be returning to South Africa as soon as the borders are reopened and I guess even me, I'm going to have to rethink, you know, whether it's, it's acceptable under the new 
you know, the new world we're living under to travel back and forth so regularly. But that's why I'm in London right now. Would you ever return to politics? Yes. I've always been passionate about public service. It's just about finding the right time and the right way to do it, um, to have the best and the most effective impact on the most people's lives. Yeah, but definitely it's in my future. Well, of course, Lindy, where we are a music radio station, so I think it's time to play some music. And you've chosen a song by Lizzo. I think it's Lizzo, is it? For us to listen to this afternoon, yes, it it's is. a big hit, Good As Hell. Would you like to tell yes. us why you chose the song and introduce it for our listeners? Yes, absolutely. So Lizzo is an extraordinary woman, a highly talented singer. Um, but one, what the thing that makes her really special is that she's a plus-size musician. So she looks like me. And Lizzo, to me, is one of the first times a pop star who looks like me, who's black and is confident in her body and in her you know, the way she dresses, is confident in her talent and her musicality, has broken out into pop music. And it's really somebody who I think is an example for how different people who look different can be beautiful in their own way and how we really need to change our perspective um, around what beauty is and what beauty isn't. Um, she sings a song called uh, Good As Hell. And for me, the, my favorite lyric is about how she... Uh, tosses her hair and she checks her nails and then she asks herself, baby, how are you feeling? And the answer is, I'm feeling good as hell. Um, it's a real, it's a real anthem to, um, body confidence, to female empowerment, um, and it's one of my favorite songs by Lizzo. That was American singer and rapper Lizzo with Good As Hell. And that was the choice of my very, very special guest today, Lindiwe Mazibuko. Lindiwe, with the benefit of hindsight, what would you tell your younger self right now? I would tell my younger self, you are beautiful, you are intelligent, you are everything you need to be. And um, you have to look within in order to find the confidence and the will to continue that you are looking for. It's never going to come from anywhere else but within. When I think about my younger self, I think of somebody who was always looking for other people's approval and who didn't, as much as she needed to, uh, look internally for that resilience, for that grit, for that you know, internal power. So yeah, if I, if I could go back, I would tell myself, you've got everything that you're looking for right within you. Just tap into it and you'll be absolutely fine. Oh, well, we are unfortunately almost out of time, but before you go... If you had just one piece of advice for the women of South Africa, what would that be? So I would give similar advice to the women of South Africa. I think one of the problems that we live with in a patriarchal society is that we are taught that in order to be uh, proud of ourselves or the best version of ourselves, we need to seek approval and particularly seek approval from men. Uh, but the truth about African women and South African women in, in particular is that we've demonstrated that we're multifaceted, we're you know, totally intelligent, resilient, um, able to be innovative, able to lead. And really now is the time for us to tap into our inner reserves of strength and our inner reserves of brilliance and genius and start to manifest that which is inside us instead of looking outwardly for the approval of others and in particular for the approval of, of, of the patriarchal society. So I would encourage South African women to tap into that genius and share that genius with other women. Don't pull up the ladder, but make it your life's mission 
to uplift other women using the power, the courage, the resilience, the strength that you have within you. Thanks so much for joining me this afternoon, Lindy. It's been so great chatting to you, and I hope to see you soon, perhaps at dinner at Thomas Kubitz in London again. And you're definitely going to sing uh, at my birthday party next year. Definitely next year. Uh, I was shy this year, but now I'm up for it. That was former parliamentary leader of the opposition and co-founder of the Apolitical Foundation, the amazing Lindiwe Mazibuko.